You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey, guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. We're bringing it to you here in our studio, the best thinkers and the best leaders in all of dentistry. Today, we go back and say thank you to one of the best podcasts we've ever done early with Dr. Lee Brady. She's one of my heroes in dentistry, great mentor, incredible human being, awesome thinker. And today on this episode, she describes risks and benefits with patients. It's an awesome one. You got to listen up. I know you'll enjoy it. We'll see you guys soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show. I hope you're enjoying these and I am learning a ton. I hope you are too. And today is no different. I have one of the best. Actually, when we started doing this, I got a few emails and a few calls saying, hey, there's one person you got to get. And I got her. I got her to say yes today and she'll show up. And you and I have been friends for a long time. I see you everywhere. You're one of the best teachers, speakers anywhere. Dr. Leanne Brady, thank you for being on. Oh my gosh, Kirk, thank you for having me. This is super fun. I like being at the at the beginning of your new project. Ooh, it's a new project and it's so much fun. I get to hang out with my friends. I'm learning a ton. I've got like 50 pages of notes already. So um, now you have been everywhere. Like you, um, well, before we start that, I want to say a couple of things. We're shooting this live on Facebook. So if you have questions as I am talking to Dr. Brady, please add the questions and I'll ask her and we'll see if we can't get her to answer it herself because I want you guys to get the most out of this. And you and I, like I said, we've, we've been around, you know, speaking everywhere. I see you at all the major meetings. You're just an incredible uh, thought leader, authority figure. You do unbelievable education. You started, I don't know if you started your journey at the Panky Institute, but you were an incredible teacher there and still uh, a great teacher. And then you went to Spear and then now you're doing all these, you started a website called Restorative Nation, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. But um, thank you so much for being on. And one thing I really love about you, not only you're a great person, you're an unbelievable dentist, but your ability to educate people, you take stuff that's crazy complex and you make it super simple. And that's one of the many things I love about you. Oh my God, that's probably the best compliment ever. Because, you know, that really is kind of why I do all of this. People are always like, why are you always everywhere? Um, and for me, it's because I know how important in my life, like, understanding a little bit more about what we do in dentistry, whether it's business or patient communications or technical, makes such a huge difference in how much I love being in my practice and love what I do, that if I can give that back to somebody, 
that's what makes all those airplanes worthwhile, Kirk. It does. It does. And you do such a great job of it. Now, um, you, you practice in Arizona, correct? I do in a suburb called Glendale. It's part of the city of Phoenix. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So not only are you a teacher, but you have your own practice going and you have an associate. And we're going to talk a little bit about this because before um, we went live, we were talking about a, a topic that's incredibly important to you. And typically it's associated with technical dentistry and it's called risk risks and benefits. Tell us what that means. Like that is a very important subject. And why is that so important to you? Well, you know, I'm Kirk, I was explaining to you before that I think about all of my communications with my patients as being about risks and benefits. It's kind of the core of patient communication. And often as dentists, we do think of that as a technical thing. Like one procedure has certain technical risks over another one. Um, But I actually think it's a much bigger conversation than that, because I think for my patients, they think of the cost of one procedure over the other. One might be a risk or a benefit. Um, Like a common one is how long it takes for a procedure to get done. So with implants, we want all of our patients to do implants. And sometimes they still ask about doing what we would call an old fashioned bridge. Well, one of the benefits to a bridge is you get chop, chop, you're all done in three to six weeks, where implant dentistry sometimes takes six to nine months. To us, we go, well, that's a no-brainer. We want the best thing technically. To a patient, that may be a tipping point decision. Um, And then you could add just the procedures. Some people consider any surgical procedure a risk, no matter how much we tell them it's easy and straightforward, or, you know, the discomfort. I mean, There's a whole range of things that we can put in our risks and benefits box that actually are more tied to the logistics of the dentistry for the patient or the emotional side of it for the patient than they are about the stuff we learned in dental school. Right, right. Because as a dentist, if you're watching this, that's a very easy place to start with patients. But your practice is built on a foundation of trust, very good intimacy, understanding a patient. And you and I were even talking before getting started. You very rarely ever do an informed consent. Like, and tell us why. Like, why don't you do an informed consent for the most part? Well, I mean, this is going to sound funny. And if there's any malpractice attorneys listening, they're going to get cold chills here in a second. Um, But for me, if I need an informed consent, That says to me that I don't trust that patient or I don't think they trust me, that there's something inherently not right about our relationship. And then the question I ask myself is, should I be doing significant dentistry on a patient that I'm not in relationship with, where we don't have that really solid foundation? Um, And so that's, it's just, it's a different way of looking at it. But I did, you said, you know, I kind of grew up at the Panky Institute and yeah. a lot of um, what I learned there was about patient communication and individualized care and that piece of it. And I also do know, honestly, for me, because, you know, I practiced dentistry for a lot of years and then I actually quit because I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it at all. And then I came back into dentistry. So this is sort of my my reinvention in the last you know 15 years. And one of the big things for me about loving practicing dentistry is being in relationship with my patient, knowing that I can come in and that the folks that I work on are friends and that, you know, we have that foundation. That's super important to me. And so, you know, I do every patient that I talk to, we discuss risks and benefits of not every possible technical solution but of the ones that would be relevant to them, the ones they're most interested in. 
and we go through the technical risks and benefits, the time, the money, the procedures. And then I do document that in their chart Mm -hmm. that we had that conversation, but I don't have them sign it that, that I documented now. And with that said, I don't do really complex surgical procedures in my practice. You know, I, I can see where in some practices, depending on the types of procedures that you do, that you could, that you could totally make a different choice and that would be okay with me. I would, you know, I kind of think you got to do what makes you feel comfortable. Right. And if having them sign a form makes you feel more comfortable than not having the form, then by golly, you should be doing that. And in my case, the form makes me more uncomfortable. So I don't do it. I think yeah. that's the great thing about dentistry. We get to make those choices. Isn't that cool? I love the word choice. I just love it. Now I want to go back to this. And I don't want to dwell on this and you can tell us as much as you want, but you quit dentistry and then you came back and there, I'm sure there was some really good learning for you. Cause I'm curious. I didn't know that. I honestly didn't know that before you said that you quit. Why? Like, what was your learning so that if I'm watching this, like, what could you share with somebody about that experience? Well, I guess the first thing I would say is don't do what I did because, um, I waited until the pain got so bad that I literally was at my rope's end. And I just went home and said, I can't do this anymore. I can't practice dentistry anymore. And that's, you know, now I look back on it and I go, you know, I had so many choices, Mm -hmm. you know, in the months or years preceding that decision, you know, I had the ability to alter my experience of the practice of dentistry. I, all the things that I did ultimately that had me love practicing dentistry those were available to me before then, but you know, I, I either didn't know or I didn't look for them. And so I just let it get to a breaking point where I made a pretty significant life decision. Um, and then life had better plans than I did, Kirk. You know, sometimes the universe has plans for us that we don't know about. And the universe was determined I was going to be a dentist. <laughs> so, really? You know, so, and it's actually turned out okay, I think, but Um, yeah, you know what? I just was struggling in my practice. I was trying to run my practice and own it. I was a solo practitioner. I was a young practitioner. So I had all of the pieces of not understanding business and not understanding the accounting part and managing a team. At the same time, I was early in my career, reasonably early in my career. And, you know, I had all the technical things that you're really trying to learn the things you need outside of dental school. Mm-hmm. to be good at what we do. And, and everybody does this. This is not like a, like a sob story, but I got married and then I had, you know, my daughters a year apart and then I got pregnant with my son. And so I have all this life stuff that happens at that stage of your life at the same time that I'm trying to own my own business and manage my team and manage dentistry. And I was just like, I was done. I just got to a point where I was like, I'm so fried. I can't do this anymore. Wow. So I'm sure when you came back, you said, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it on my terms. Was that one of your slogans or, or how did that, that work? That would have been the smart way to do it, but no. <laughs> oh, no. Well, the reality of it is I didn't have any intention of ever coming back into the practice of dentistry. Um, I sold my practice. I literally went home one day and told my husband, Kelly, I'm not going back. And he like, you know, I, you know, a couple hours of tears and Kleenex and the whole nine yards. He finally got the message. And a month later, my practice was sold. Mm-hmm. And my intention was I was going to stay home. I had two small kids. I was pregnant with my third and I was going to stay home. And then at some point when my kids got older, um, I would figure out 
what was next for me? Like, what was my next career kind of a thing? And I actually was home um, for about two years, two plus years. And what happened is my husband, Kelly, is an IT professional. He has an MBA, but he works in IT. And it was right when the internet had gotten super big and then went and exploded. Mm -hmm. And so he actually lost his job twice in about a 12-month period. And so the second time he lost his job, I picked up a phone and basically said, all right, let's see how long it takes me to get a job. You know, he and I basically said, whoever gets a job first, that's where we're going because we got yeah. three kids to feed and we're, you know, we're out of here. So I picked up a phone and started calling people that I knew in dentistry and called a friend from dental school. And I had a job literally two weeks later as an associate in the same practice that he was working in. Mm-hmm. and I fell into doing it different. I didn't set out to do it different intentionally. I walked into a practice that was doing it totally differently than I'd ever experienced in my career or that I even would have dreamt was possible, and it didn't take me long to go, wow, like I actually like coming to work here. Yeah. So you know, maybe there is a way to do this that will work out. Yeah, that's awesome that you share that story because – you hear this all the time too, when you're out speaking, some dentists will come up to you and they go, I just, I don't know if dentistry is for me. And then you listen to their story and you're like, you're such a good person. Like you, you have, it's maybe it's not, don't look at it's you. It's just how it's set up around you. Cause you can, like you said at the beginning, it's a choice. And this is the United States of America. You don't have to have a practice style. You can say, I want to do it this way. Exactly. I mean, you know what? And here's the reality, Kirk. It actually takes us right back to our risks and benefits conversation. Right. Okay. You know, because, you know, you can say, I only want to work three days a week. Well, the risk is you may produce a little less money. You may have a smaller practice. And the benefit is you're going to have all those extra days at home to do your other thing. You know, I tell people all the time, you can have anything you want. I mean, the reality of it is you can pretty much have everything, anything you want around how you could practice dentistry. And whatever you design, now you have to ask yourself, so what am I going to have to do to get it, right? Like, what are the what are the costs of doing it? And often the cost is you're going to produce less if you work fewer days a week. Or sometimes it's funny, you don't. You think that'll be the cost. Right. And the reality is you produce just as much or you produce more because you're you're just more focused in the days you're in your office. Or if you're actually having a good time, you're enjoying yourself more you're going to be more productive, right? But it's always a give and take. It's always about their step on both sides of the scale. And you just got to say, am I willing to to give this up to have this? Yeah. But yeah, it's a gift in dentistry that we get to, we get to do that. We get to design our lives. It is. It is. Now let's go a little bit further in that because this is brilliant because this is a little twist on the way dentists typically learn this concept. And you really think about it more as patients. And you were telling me the story about your associate. I think that's the perfect example. So you were gone and then a patient calls your office. So tell us that story. It's great. Yeah. So I was in Chicago and I had a patient call the office for an emergency. And I actually talked to the patient and I had done a um, post and core and crown on an upper lateral. I want to say it's a year ago. It may even be a little bit less than that or a little bit more, you know, but it's not very long ago in dental years that I restored this tooth. And at the time, I was really concerned about restoring the tooth because it just didn't have a good prognosis. 
And the patient and I went through all these conversations about the risks and benefits of saving it or taking it out and doing an implant. And so when I talked to the patient on Sunday night from Chicago and he says, this is loose and I think there's a problem, you know, immediately I'm getting like, okay, I'm having palpitations, right? Because, oh my God, we just did this a year and a half ago, you know, and then I'm like, okay, but we had these good conversations about it. So I, you know, text my associate and I'm like, okay, make sure you read the chart notes. Okay. Before you go in, he's going to come in on Monday morning before you go in and talk to him read the chart notes because I want to make sure that he doesn't walk into a conversation without that background. Right. You know, so of course, you know, it's two hour time difference between Chicago and Arizona. And I'm sitting there going, how soon can I text to see what happened? Right. Cause you're kind of on pins and needles. Mm-hmm. So I finally text and I, you know, get to talk to Jay and I'm like, so how did it go? I mean, what happened? He goes, Oh no, it was great. He says, he literally walked in and said, you know, Dr. Brady told me that this tooth probably wasn't going to have very long and I wanted to save it and it's loose. So, you know, I'm just hoping you can cement it back in because I have a golf game today and I'm, I'm clear. I'm probably going to have to do the other and make that other decision. But right now I got to go play golf. So can you cement this back in? Um, so, you know, that's, that to me is like, yes. I mean, that's success that, you know, when a patient comes in and, they have ownership yep. around the choices they made for themselves based on the options we give them when, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't at all about like what I'd said, the part to celebrate was like he got, I chose to do this and I knew what the outcome might potentially be. And okay, so now I'll go back and I'll make a different choice. Mm-hmm. It's that hearing that somebody has that kind of ownership that makes me want to celebrate that I'm actually getting better at communication, Kurt. I'm actually learning how to do this better. It's taken a lot of decades, but I'm getting there. Yeah. And see, I consider you a master communicator. So, and I think that might be the first evidence of a master is this, is they never stop trying to get better. They always try. They never say I'm done or I figured this out, you know, cause some people you do run into dentistry, they're like, you know, I've been doing this a long time. Let me tell you what to do. This is, I do this every time and it works every time. You've never said that. You're like, I'm constantly learning. I've got a lot to learn here too. Now, this is a constant thread, not only in who you are, your core values, how you build your practice, but the risk and benefits thing, that's thread throughout the whole process. This isn't just a clinical conversation, like a treatment planning um, or treatment presentation presentation part of it, is it? No, I mean, for me, really, it is sort of, it threads through everything that I do in my practice. Right. Um, you know, one of the things like for years and years and years, you know, I've taught comprehensive care. And I actually hate to use that word because I kind of think comprehensive has been overdone, right? right. And, you know, but for me, one of the reasons that I continue to practice that way is if I don't do a comprehensive exam, however you define that, if I don't look for all the risk factors mm-hmm. and I don't know what all the risk factors are that the patient has, whether that's technical risk factors or I get to know them and it's something that's going on in their lives right now or whatever it is. But if I don't own those risk factors, I certainly can't have a conversation with them about that. Right. Okay? right. So that's, you know, it always starts there. And I tell, I tell dentists this all the time, and I actually believe this, is 
you know, anytime I have one of those uh-oh moments in my dental practice, what I know is there was a risk factor someplace that I didn't uncover on the front end and it just cropped its head up and it showed up in my life, right? Yeah. And so like, I'll give you an example of that. Another example from my, from my week, it's been a busy week here in I Arizona. Love it. Um, so when I got back from Chicago today, um, my office manager was telling me about a conversation she'd had with a patient yesterday while I was out. Um, and he had some, some significant concerns about the fees from his last appointment. And at first blush, you could pass it off and you could say, oh, you know what? We give people treatment plans and we make them sign it. And, you know, what do you mean they, you know, he, he knew, mm -hmm. right? Right. That, that, and that's the normal human reaction. And then I take a deep breath and I go, okay, so let's step back and really think about this. And one of the things like new learning for me this morning was this is a patient who's at the very end of a three and a half, almost four year treatment plan. Okay. Guess when we discussed fees? Right. Three and a half to four years ago. Right. Right. You have all these big, glorious conversations about how your whole treatment plan and here's what everything is going to cost and you lay it all out. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I realized this morning is when you start to do this kind of dentistry that spans some time because it's interdisciplinary or it's very complicated is one of the risk factors is there. And there's two. I think there's two pieces of this puzzle. One could be that you get to the very end of a treatment plan and your teeth are looking good and they're feeling good. And you kind of sometimes forget why you were doing all this in the first place. Right? right. So it's possible that the value proposition for him isn't quite what it once was for these last little steps. Um, and it's also a risk factor that, you know what, it's almost like I, my question is, and I don't know the answer because I just, this just happened two hours ago, mm -hmm. but my question I'm asking myself is, okay, so I wonder if periodically we need to do a, um, not really a new case presentation or a new consult, but for these long cases, if periodically we need to schedule a check-in, right? patient and I just check in together and just kind of catch up. Like, here's what we've gotten accomplished and here's what's still ahead of us. And, you know, let's, let's just talk about the logistics for what's ahead of us, right. you know, what's still to come, you know, so instead of there being a four year gap between the execution of some pieces and the conversations about that, it's closer in time so that it yeah. doesn't get lost someplace. Right. But again, so that's a risks and risks and benefits. There's big benefits to doing complex dentistry and interdisciplinary care at a dental level and as a patient's level. And one of the risks is you, you can't remember those conversations always for four years. No. <laughs> right? Well, you can only, you selectively remember what you want to remember. And then I don't know if this happens to you, but the older you get, you lose the frame of mind as far, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, that happened. Like we went, we did that like two years ago. They're like, uh, that was like nine years ago. And you're like, are you sure? You know? Exactly. Right. right. So, so that's another example of, you know, kind of just how that theme shows up in my life. Cause that, that is a theme for me around lots of stuff that I do in my office. I mean, honestly, we could lay this over on decisions we make for our team. Right. right. You know, should I or shouldn't I buy an intraoral scanner? 
All right. Well, what are the risks and what are the benefits? Love that. Love that. Because in order to grow, you got to let go of something. And, you know, and I think what you're doing, like, this is brilliant because you're working alongside the patient. You know, this is true advocacy. This isn't me. You come to me and I fix you. You're like, hey, look, I'm here to help you. But there's there's some choices you're going to make. And I'm going to be right alongside here with you as you make these choices. Absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the pieces of this that it took me a long time to get is that they're not my teeth. Mm. Right? They're actually the patient's teeth. It's the patient's health. Um, and they are the patient's choices. Right. You know, and I love that word that, yeah, my job is to be their advocate. You know, at a at a at a beginning level, my job is to help the patient have the information that they need to be able to successfully make their own choices. And I don't believe I, you know, I'm I always hesitate to use that word information or education because sometimes I think we put way too much stock in it in dentistry. And I'm really clear that having the information does not move someone to action or change someone's behavior. Right. However, if you don't have the information, you have no option for changing your behavior or for making another choice. So there's a, there's a level at which the information is foundational. Yeah. So the patient does need to understand the current conditions that are going on in their mouth. The patient needs to understand what their choices are. And in my case, I would say they need to understand the risks and benefits of those different choices, including choosing to do nothing. There's a certain set of risks and benefits to choosing no treatment, right? Mm -hmm. And then once the patient has that, then my job is to support them in that choice. And then ultimately, the third piece of it is if I'm actually the right person to execute the treatment they choose, then my job is to now put my technical hat on and actually execute that care or the phases of the care that would fall into my, into my purview. But exactly, it's the patient's choices. And I think that's a better way to think about it for the patient. And I also think it's a better way to think about it for us as the caregiver, as the practitioner. Yeah. Well, and you've raised all these amazing kids and you know how this is. They're a product of their choices. And you always say stuff like this, make good choices, you know, and you're kind of with them the whole time. But ultimately, it's no different. The patients, if the patient is, if if it's their idea, they're going to own it a little bit more. They'll be more responsible. And now you truly are their advocate, their, their partner in this journey and all that kind of stuff. Instead of you owning the dentistry, I love that. It is not my teeth. It is their teeth. But okay. So I'm, I'm going to just play a little bit of an devil's advocate here. So I'm a young dentist. I'm watching and I really, you're, you're like one of my heroes. That just sounds scary to me to like, to take all this time and really just it, like, where would you start? Because you really do have to slow down your conversations. Like you can't go through this kind of stuff, speeding through it, looking for cracks and doing it that way. I mean, you really got to get to know people. You do. And I think one of the things that, um, that I thought in the beginning, when I started to learn about a different way to practice, I really had this picture in my head of, I'm going to do these new patient appointments that take two hours or longer. And then the patient's going to go away and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to spend an extended period of time reviewing all their records. And then the patient's going to come back and we're going to spend, you know, however much time together talking about all of this. And then of course, they're just going to just absolutely want to do everything I recommended. 
and then it'll all move forward. And first of all, my experience is that model actually doesn't work that way um, always. Some patients, it works great. They're ready to make a decision at that that first consult or treatment planning. Um, and some people aren't. They need time to process. So, you know, moving from I don't didn't even know there was anything going on with my dental health to I'm going to make this choice to do significant dentistry to to change that is is a process. Mm-hmm. And from a psychological point of view, um, people walk through their process at their own speed. Right. And some people can process information rapid fire and some people need a lot more time to do it. Um, and then even once they go through that piece of it, deciding they want to do it is a different decision than deciding how to do it. Right. Right. So, you know, I think, unfortunately, in dentistry, we, we look at it way too simplistically. And I think in dental school, unfortunately, we were taught do an exam, present the treatment plan. The patient says yes. Mm-hmm. You know what? That model works awesome for some procedures. Like if you said, what percentage of the time does that model work when they need a simple occlusal filling? Mm-hmm. I'm hoping the numbers are reasonably high. Yeah. Okay. Right. You know, if you said in the average practice, how often does that model work if they need a single crown? I'd also expect your numbers to be reasonably high. Right. right? You know, I can remember a time in, in dental, in my practice, where for scaling and replaning, Mm, your numbers wouldn't have been really high because at that point, the general public wasn't very um, knowledgeable about gingivitis and periodontitis, right? right? Now, today, when you tell somebody that they need a deeper cleaning or whatever language you use, my guess is your numbers are pretty high because people start with a base understanding and a base desire. I mean, the reality is if they're in our practices, Kirk, they care about their teeth. Absolutely. Right? If they're sitting in our offices, they care about their dental health. Right. So we're starting at a good foundation. But the more complex the conversation gets and the further our understanding of the patient's oral health is from their current understanding of their oral health, then the different timeline. But one of the things I think we forget in dentistry is we have the gift of time. Right. We have the gift of time. We get the opportunity to see the same patients over and over and over, over an extended period of time. So the whole conversation does not have to happen in one appointment, right? This conversation can be an evolution. And I actually think it's better that way. I actually think it works better if you don't give, don't ask the patient to eat the whole elephant in one appointment, you know, give them a chance to get some information, go home, experience some things for themselves, come back, and then deepen that. So um, you're right. You have to spend a little bit more time, but that time could be divided up over a pretty big, you know, number of appointments. I actually think about it a little differently. I think about it is if you're going to be with the patient and have a conversation with the patient for that conversation, however long it is, 60 seconds, 120 seconds, five minutes, can you be fully present with that person? Right. And actually in that conversation, getting the most out of it so that when that one minute, two minutes or five minutes over is over, the patient has a different level of ownership and understanding about whatever it was you talked about, even if it was one tooth or like one old filling. Right. And if yeah. the answer is yes, then we've moved the ball forward. 
And if the answer is no, in truth, to me, it kind of just wasted two or five minutes that could have been super important in your relationship with that patient. Um, so right. I don't see a slightly different spin on, on it than some people's. Yeah. And it's beautiful because you're so good at this and you do a lot of complex restorative dentistry. I love what you said there because you talked about the complexity and the mutual, use the word mutual, I wrote down mutual understanding, but really what it is, is Lee, people trust you. Like they trust you, they look in your eyes and you have to make that investment in order for you to have this fun stuff that comes as a byproduct of that is that, look, I've been working with this patient for a long time. Every time I sit with them, I do listen to them. I give them five or one minute or even 10 minutes of my total attention span. And then I let them know I'm here for you. And then that's because sometimes you see this young dentist, they want the quick win. They they don't want the delayed gratification of these relationships. And I don't want to put everybody in pigeonhole, but that's that's the foundation of your practice. You yeah. know, the, the trust. And part, part of it, Kirk, goes to also, uh, we'll go back to our original conversation. You know, what does dentistry need to look like for you to love it, for you to really be empowered and engaged? And I know I know dentists who have come to my practice and they've observed in my practice who walk away and go, I could never do this this way. And I'm like, you know what? And that's awesome learning. And that was worth you standing here for however many hours seeing how I do it to walk away and go, this does not fit my personality. It doesn't fit my philosophy. You know, I, I happen to have a, page, a dentist that's a super good friend that I've known forever. And he sees probably three to four times the number of patients in a given day that I do. Mm. And he does it because he loves it that way. Like wow. he literally would lose his mind and be bored to tears. Because if he's not like, go, 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 go. Right. He's not having fun. Yeah. And so like my schedule would kill him because he would just be, I don't know what to do. I have too much time on my hands. Mm -hmm. And by the same token, his schedule would kill me because I, I would, I would just, I would be nuts in the parking lot. I look at his schedule and go, Oh my God, I would just go nuts. I can't even think about doing it. So part of it is you got to figure out your, you know, what works for you. Yeah. And and it's got to work as a business. You and I both know that too. Right. One of the things that I tell folks all the time is if you're going to try to change your practice, change it slowly, right? Do not derail a high speed train because it will not get you to the outcome you want. Okay. So you got to keep your high speed train running 95% of the time and take 5% of the time and say, can I put the brakes on for this 5% of the time? Or, you know, can I do something a little differently? this way. And then once you get that nailed, then you can, then you can progressively change the next thing. And ultimately you look back and you go, Oh my God, I have a totally different practice than I did two years ago or five years ago or whatever your timeline is. But yeah, but at the end of the day, you've got, you've got an up and running business concern. You got to make sure that that survives and you can grow it even with that happening. Yeah. I love, I'm going to use that question. What does dentistry have to look like in order for you to love it? We should have t-shirts made with, they put your quote on there because really <laughs> that's the million dollar question. Because if you can answer that question, that's where happiness lives. It doesn't live in somebody else's model. It lives in your model. You got to go to work, get out of your car and go, I do it my way, you know? Exactly. And you got to want to get out of your car. 
<laughs> that's key. That's, that's key. key. Especially in your town, because if you sit in your car for too long, you'll, oh, you'll yeah, run. Yeah. You yeah. would be toast. You would be a little crispy piece of bacon if you sat in your car. But no, I tell that I talk about that all the time. I'm like, you know what? When you pull up to the office, if you actually have to sit in your car for a minute to get yourself prepared to go in, my my intuition is there's something about what's happening in your practice that you might want to evaluate and say, could I do it differently? So that you're not sitting in the parking lot going, okay, I can do this. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. Please listen to this woman. She is brilliant. She's one of the thought leaders in this amazing profession. That is the number one profession in the United States. Again, it is. I I saw that. I think the orthodontists are mad because they moved from number one a little bit further down the list, but GPs are number one and oral... Hands, Kirk. We have to have be number one every once in a while. I know, I know. Even oral surgeons, there's still all three of those professions in the top th- uh, 10 uh, in the United States. And that's the cool part. So if you're listening to this as a young dentist, a couple things. Number one, you have got to see this woman speak. She is brilliant. She is an incredible teacher. Your online stuff is fantastic. So how do I find the online stuff that you teach so well? Where, where can I find that? Well, there's two places. So you can go to my website. That's my name, leannbrady.com. And that website's been up for a couple of years and it's a blog and there's just tons and tons of content, um, technical and non-technical, all in written form. And then my newest venture, because you know I was bored and I had time to kill, what is a new website that's called restorativenation.com. And it's a supportive online learning community is our tagline. And it's all video-based. So lots and lots of videos that are all educational from five minutes to an hour. And then we have something called curator journals. So we have about eight or nine um, thought leaders in dentistry who come in and twice a month they do what we call curator journals. And they're real low production, just video blogs of whatever is top of mind for them on the day they videotape. Um, And it's actually a private social media or social, uh, you know, community. So you have a thread just like you do on Facebook and you can post updates and you can friend people and it's kind of fun. It's kind of cool. We're having a good time with it. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you so much, my friend. So thank you for being on today. I know you got to run and get to get some patience, but, uh, you I are amazing. So, yeah. Are there, oh, they're waving at you. We'll yeah, we're going to do another because there's so many things I want to cover with you and we didn't even scratch the surface here. So thank you so much. So if you're watching, please add any questions uh, and Lee will answer those questions. She'll take a look at the feed and she'll get back to you personally. Uh, and thank you so much for watching. Until we see you next time, have a great day. Thank you so much. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.